That's right. You were made to thrive. You really and truly were created to thrive. That is what God intends for you. Hey, everyone. So glad you're with us today. We're going to continue in our series entitled Made to Thrive. And we've been talking over the last few weeks about how God has designed us and fashioned us to thrive and that the enemy, Satan, wants to steal, kill, and destroy, but that Jesus said out of his very own mouth, these words came out. He said that he has come that we would have life and have it to the fullest. See, God has a plan, a perfect and amazing plan for your life. He has a purpose for you, that you were born for a reason, that you live where you live, that you were born into the family that you were born into, in in the season, in the decade, in the century that you were born into, because God had a plan and a purpose for your life. We've talked over these last few weeks and have brought up multiple times the fact that thriving doesn't mean that our lives are free of challenges and difficulties or pain. That we can thrive in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain. And I really want to even press into that a little bit more today. We're going to talk about what thriving in the midst of adversity looks like. And so I've entitled today's message, It Takes Courage to Thrive. It Takes Courage to Thrive. But I'm not talking about an action hero kind of courage. I I love action movies. I love war movies. And we always depict the hero as having this kind of courage that they're knocked down and they get back up and they charge into battle or they run into the burning building or whatever the the circumstance would be. And, And there's just kind of this pull yourself up and just keep going no matter what what the cost. That's not the kind of courage I want us to talk about today. I think the kind of courage that God is looking for in in his believers, in his children is this. It's a deeply rooted commitment to living God's way. That's the kind of courage that God is asking us to have. A deeply rooted commitment to living his way according to his plan. And as I already mentioned, God has a plan for your life. You have a plan for your life. Your parents probably had a plan for your life. Uh, Other people might have a plan for your life. Your boss might have a plan for your life. But at the end of the day, the plan that matters the most, really the only plan that matters is God's plan. His purpose. What is God's purpose for your life? Why were you born into this world? His design. Living according to his design. He made you the way that he made you. He made you a man. He made you a woman. He gave you the personality you have, the sense of humor you have, the gifts and the abilities that you have. Those come from him. And so he's, he's calling us to live within those giftings, within that plan, within that purpose. It's a commitment to discovering what those things are. But it also means that we commit ourselves to living within the limits that he has given Living God's way means that we embrace the limits that he has for you and for me. See, because God is limitless. We know this. We understand this about his very nature. God is limitless. There is nothing that God cannot do. He's the one who spoke the universe into creation, that he fashioned man out of the dirt of the earth and breathed life into him. That there's nothing that God cannot do. But you and I, we're limited. That we are not God. And that we have limits. Now I know that in, in our faith and in Christianity, we, we love to quote the verse that says, I can do all things. 
I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you've probably seen that on, on greeting cards and stenciled on walls and written in notes and in all kinds of different places. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And, and we want to just rally behind that. But can I tell you right now that, first of all, that's a, it's actually a misinterpretation of that passage because you cannot do all things. You cannot do all things, not in the way that we sometimes quote that passage. God can do all things, but we are limited. Here's what Philippians 4.13, that passage really says. Paul writes this in verse 13. He says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this, not all things. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So what is this? What is the this that he's talking about? We need a little context. And so let's look at the rest of this passage. We'll read verses 12 and verses 13. Paul here is saying this. He says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him. He gives me strength. The this is that he had limits, that he knew what it was to be hungry and to be well-fed, to have plenty and to be in want. What Paul is saying is that his life is limited, that there were things, there were limits that were placed on his life. There were things that were, 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 that, that went well and things that didn't go well. And Paul is saying is in the midst of all of these circumstances, the good and the bad, that he could face all of these things because Christ gave him strength. So this isn't a hey, rah, rah, we can just do everything. No, you cannot, that we're limited. But what we can do is in the midst of all circumstances that we can draw on the strength of God and that we can be content, that we can learn to what it means, what it means to be at peace and to trust God. See, we live in a culture that really asserts, says that don't tell me what I can't do. In fact, from when we're little, maybe you heard this in school, and uh, I certainly did, and I hear this when we go to graduations and when we go to, 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 to events for, you know, for our kids' sporting teams. We hear these things that would say, uh, hey, you can do anything. You can do anything you want. You can accomplish anything. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. You want to, you want to be an astronaut? Go for it. You can be an astronaut. You want to be the president of the United States? You can be the president. You want it, you, there's no limit to what you can do. But the reality is, is there are limits. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard or even encourage our kids to work hard. But there's definitely a part of our culture and even a part of the American dream that is all about breaking limits. Hey, we want to we forget the limits. I want to go beyond. I want to do more than the limits. But when it comes to our faith, it doesn't actually synchronize with it. It doesn't fit with our faith. Because what Paul is saying is we have limits and part of our faith journey and part of our trusting God is to embrace those limits. Again, not saying that we don't work hard or we don't, we don't set our sights on accomplishing things and moving forward. Not at all. 
It's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, is that we are not God. That you and I are not God. And the problem with a culture that says that you can do and be whatever you want if you just work hard enough is it sets us up to fail. It sets us up to be performance driven, to say, if you don't have it, if you don't accomplish it, if there's brokenness or if there's pain, it's because you didn't work hard enough, you didn't do enough, you didn't have enough faith. And then guilt and shame come in to play. And can I tell you, when Jesus said that that the enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, the way that he does that is by heaping guilt and shame on on the followers, on the children of God, on the believers, on us. Where we'd say, well, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. See, God, God has a plan for your life, but look at you. You don't measure up. You're not, you're, you're not attaining the things that God said that you need to. That just means that you've not worked hard enough, that you've not done enough. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. See, because God has designed us with limits. He's designed us with limits that we cannot do everything. And we see this all throughout Scripture. That all throughout scripture, we see men and women who God chooses to use in in spite of their brokenness. Moses, Moses had a speech impediment. He did not, he he wasn't able to speak eloquently. He, He was timid, yet God calls him to lead the children of Israel. Abraham and Sarah, the father and the the mother of nations, were, were in their 80s. In their, in their late 80s, and they still had had no children, yet God comes to them and says, you will have a child. They were limited, but God was not limited. And over and over and over, we see in Scripture men and women who are used by God despite the limits. In fact, it's because of their limits, because of the weaknesses, that God's glory is really revealed through their lives. You know, you and I, we experience limits and we live within limits every day. It's not a foreign thing to us. See, right now I am breathing air. As I speak, as I'm, as I'm standing here in front of you, I'm breathing. I'm taking in air into my lungs and that air has been, that oxygen is going into my blood and going to my brain and it's keeping me alive. But if I stop breathing, if I stop taking air into my lungs... Well, after a couple of minutes, that life will drain from me and I will no longer be alive. You're, you're the same way. We have to breathe. That every day that we, need, that, that we get hungry, your body tells you, hey, you need food. You need calories to come into your system to give you the energy. So you have to eat, right? You need food in order to live. You need water to you need to drink water and take in water in order, in order to nourish your system. That's a limit. You cannot just live infinitely and definitely without breathing or eating or drinking. Uh, how about this one? Rest. We talked about rest last week. And when your body gets tired, it lets you know. It lets you know. And you can maybe stay awake for you know, 12, 24, maybe 24, 28 hours, 30 hours, if you really force yourself to. But at a certain point, your body goes, no, I'm done. I need rest. I need to sleep. I need to be 
uh, your, your body needs to be in that place where it gets regenerated in the midst of, of, of sleep. That is a limit. It's a God-given limit that causes us to stop and to be refreshed and to be renewed. But here's the thing. We all have limits. There's things that limit us uh, every day. Not just talking about air, you know, the air we breathe and the food and water that we need to, to eat and drink or the sleep that we need to get. The seasons of life that we're in can be a limitation. Not having uh, enough money can be a limitation or having debt can be a limitation. Uh, the, having small children in the house and, and uh, you know, I'm not able to go out on a date with my wife, you know, as often as I would like because we have small kids and we have to tend to our kids. That, that is a limitation. And, and so these limitations are not necessarily a bad thing. They definitely can be, but those, those limits just remind us that we can't just live and do everything and anything we want we live within limits. But here's the problem, is that so often we have to hide our limitations. We have to hide. We become ashamed of the things that are limitations in our lives, we, or we try to ignore them. And just say, you know, the, I, have to, I have to measure up. I have to compare myself to the people around me. And so I don't want to even acknowledge to myself that, that there are these limitations or we have to live false lives or, or, or have a false self that says, oh, no, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, but never actually says, no, these are the places where I'm broken. These are the places where I'm hurting. And so Paul, who we just read that passage out of Philippians, he writes another passage and he wrote a letter to the church in uh, Corinth in 2 Corinthians. And I want to read what Paul writes here because I think it's important for us to realize that, that this man of God, this man who, who served God so faithfully, talks so freely and openly about his limitations. So let's take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 6. It says this, even if I should, should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one would think more of me than is warranted by what I say or do. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to tor torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made, we made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what's going on here? Let's unpack this a little bit. Here's this, this man, Paul, who was an amazing man of God. In fact, when we consider the New Testament, uh, Paul was probably the greatest Christian, the greatest man that, that lived in, in the New Testament times outside uh, of Jesus, second really only to Jesus. When we just think about the things that he accomplished in the kingdom of God, it's Paul who really wrote half of the New Testament. 
He had this radical salvation experience. He was called by Jesus. After Jesus had ascended to heaven, he appears to Paul and calls him face to face. It's Paul who went to the Gentiles and did these missionary trips, planting churches all over the, the known world at that time. He was a man who raised up leaders and released leaders. He was a, a leader amongst leaders. He was a man who suffered persecution for his faith. And what he's referencing here in this passage as he talks about this, this, this prevention of him becoming conceited, he says, I could boast and I could boast, really, I have a leg to stand on when it comes to that. He's talking about this revelation he had received from God. See, there were those in Corinth that were coming against Paul, that were speaking badly about him. And in fact, they were telling people, saying, hey, don't, don't follow Paul. Don't follow his teaching. Come over this way. Come, come follow me. Come, come do the things. Paul's, Paul's a bad guy, which, by the way, that's a limitation, isn't it? When people would think badly of us or speak badly of us, that's not something we celebrate. That is a point of pain. That's a limitation. Well, Paul had this going on. That there was a sect of people, there was a group of people that were really just bad-mouthing him. And so Paul writes and he says, hey, I could, I could boast about the things that I've done. I could boast about the experiences I've had. And, and this one experience where, where God gives, gives him this, this revelation, there's this special revelation, that, this great revelation that, that, that Paul receives. But he says, I'm not, I'm not going to boast about that. In fact, here's what I'm going to highlight. See, God, in order to keep me from being conceited, has given me this thorn in my flesh. See, Paul suffered. He talks about this point of suffering that he experiences, and he talks about this this thorn in his flesh. So in order to keep me from being conceited, God gives him limits. There's a limit that's placed here in Paul's life. In order to keep me from being conceited, says that a messenger of Satan was sent to torment me that there was this thorn in my flesh. That's not a good thing. And we just agree that a messenger of Satan being sent to torment you is not a good thing. And here's the thing, Paul doesn't say exactly what it is. And there's tons of speculation. If you read uh, commentaries and you read different scholars, there's all kinds of speculation about what this thorn, of the, thorn in the flesh meant. Um, but here's what we know, that it was deeply personal for Paul. We do know that he had trouble with his eyes, and we read in other, uh, in other letters that he wrote that he had some issues with his eyes, issues with his vision, and it sounds like from his writing that there was a level of pain that he experienced with his eyes, but we don't even know if that's what he was talking about. All we know is this, that it wasn't good that it wasn't good, that whatever it was that Paul was dealing with was not something that was fun, it was not comfortable, it was not easy. It was a challenge in his life. But there's really two lines that I want to highlight in this passage that are so key for us to understand. The first is this. He says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. So here's Paul pleading. 
pleading to make it stop. Three times I pleaded. In here, in, in the New Testament, in the original language, three times it doesn't mean that he asked three times. Three times is a metaphor. It's a, it's a picture of asking over and over and over and over and over again that Paul pleaded with God constantly, please take this away from me. Make it stop. Maybe you've been in a place like that before. You've walked through something. You're maybe even facing something right now where you would say, God, please make it stop. And maybe even the lie of the enemy has been to you that it's not stopped because God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God doesn't see you. You've done something wrong. You've messed up so badly that you deserve whatever it is. But can I encourage you, according to what Paul is writing here, According to what Paul's, Paul's own experience, that just because it doesn't stop doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. So here's the thing, church, this messes with our theology. The idea that we would come to God and say, God, please make this stop, and that God would say, no. That messes with our theology it messes with our belief system because in so many ways we've wanted God and we've made God to be this genie in the bottle that is there for me when I need him and when I ask him to do things that he's just always going to come through that we've equated blessing with comfort that we've equated blessing with comfort from with living a trouble-free problem-free life. It's like a kuna matata, right? Just no worries, no cares, no issues. Not at all. Here's Paul, this man of God, this incredible servant of the Most High King who's saying this, I pleaded with God to take away this, this thorn in my flesh, this torment sent to me by Satan. And God said, no, no, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. This messes with our theology as it should. See, because we need to trust that God is at work. We struggle with limits. We don't want to embrace or, or even look at the limits that are placed in our lives. And any time they do come in, we try and explain them away or we try and ignore them. Paul says no. I need to trust that God, that his power is made perfect in my weakness. In fact, that's the, the very words that God spoke to Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. The second thing, the second sentence out of this passage that, that just rings true and that we need to lay a hold of goes along with that. But Paul's response to what God says to him is this, For Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Here's his response. He says to God, God, there's this point of pain, and I need you to take it away. I please, I'm pleading, please take it away. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul's response to this is, for Christ's sake then, because of who God is and what he's done, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. Now, Paul's not, he's not out of his mind here. He's not saying, like, oh, just bring it on. This is fun. He's already expressed that this is a thorn in his flesh. This is a point of pain. 
And it's something he would rather not have. But what he is saying, he's had this revelation of who God is. And he says, listen, if God's power is made perfect in my weakness, then I will delight in my weakness and in insults and in hardships and in persecutions and in difficulties. If this is the place where God's power is displayed in my life, then this is the place where I want to live. This is the thing that I want to embrace. Church this is where the courage comes in. This is where the courage comes in. See, because we live in a world that has no room for that. We don't, we don't want to delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and difficulties. In fact, those things have become points of, uh, of retaliation for us that we, we, we reject and we cut off and we, uh, we, we will walk with spite. Anytime any of those things happen, if someone wants to insult me, well, I'll insult them back. If someone, if there's some point of hardship, well, I'll just leave that behind. I'll go a different direction. And persecutions, well, we, we paint persecution with a very broad brush. I've been reading, and as I'm sure you have, watching the, the news out of Afghanistan right now and what's happening to the believers in that nation as and, and we continue to pray, of course, for Afghanistan, for the people in that nation and for the church in that nation. There are reports of house churches across Afghanistan where the members of those churches are being rounded up and systemically just being murdered and killed. See, that is, that's persecution. And Paul says, I'll delight in persecution. I will delight in difficulties. See, we, as a, as a culture, as a church, we, we really don't want to go down that road. But how do we do that? How do we, ad, how do we adjust? How do we have the courage like Paul did to say, you know what, for Christ's sake, I will delight. I will delight in weaknesses. And he says at the end of that passage, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. I titled this message, It Takes Courage to Thrive. And here's why. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. It takes courage to say I'm weak. It takes courage to admit that I'm broken. It takes courage to, uh, to, to recognize that I am limited. It takes courage to, for us to say, you know what, I am hurting that I'm not doing well, that there are things in my life that are not going the way that I anticipated. In fact, we all feel discouragement at times. We all feel discouragement, but what is that word? Discouragement, it is the taking away of courage out of our lives, and that is the goal of the enemy. But that we can be courageous in the midst of weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. That we can have courage, not because it, it just is something that we muster up inside of ourselves. It's because in the midst of our weakness, Jesus says, I am your strength. So when I am weak, when I am weak, then I am strong. See, we feel discouraged. But Jesus says, I will give you the courage you need to thrive. I will give you what you need to thrive in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the opposition, in the midst of whatever the limit is that you are facing in your life. 
right now, not a chest-thumping kind of courage, but a deep sense of surrender and trust in God's way, in God's wisdom, in God's strength. Church, that is where our courage lies. That's what it means to thrive. That's why it takes courage to thrive. It's not an easy place to live. It's not an easy commitment to make. And I know that there would be all manner of people in the culture around us that would say, well, that, that's not the There might even be other believers that would challenge that. But Paul's very own words here to say, when I am weak, then I am strong. So like Paul, so often what we usually ask or plead with God is, take away the pain, take away the discomfort, take away the opposition. And it doesn't mean that we become masochists and we find places to bring pain and discomfort and opposition. Not at all. And there have been cults that have gone down that road. There have been ways of thinking that have led people away from the Lord because that's the posture that they took. And that's, that's, the lie from, that's a lie from the enemy as well. But it's in the midst of the pain and in the midst of the challenges and in the midst of the weakness and in the midst of the limitations of our lives that, that instead of saying, God, would you please take this away? And we, we can certainly pray that, but we would also ask this, God, what are you teaching me in this season about my limitations? God, what is it that you're calling me to learn about who you are? God, what is the revelation that you want to you give me about who you are as I face these limits in my life? In the same way that Paul said, I had this limitation, I had this thorn in my flesh that prevented me from, from, from doing some of the things that I needed to do. In fact, it says that, that God gave him this limitation, that this thorn actually prevented him from being conceited. See, Paul could have said, you know what? I am all that. I am so good. I am so amazing. But God says, no, 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 no. You're going to have this thorn. You're going to have this limitation. So that it prevents you from believing more about yourself than you should or thinking more about yourself than you should. So in, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of the pain, to be able to say, God, what are you teaching? Ask, asking him, what are you teaching me about my limits? See, here's the thing. Limitations, opposition, and brokenness ground us. They keep us absolutely ground us. Doesn't mean that we trivialize suffering, but we remember that in the, in the midst of our brokenness, it's in those places that we recognize our need for God the most. So it grounds us. It keeps our eyes fixed on Jesus. We have to understand this, that God is a redemptive God. He is a redemptive God. See, when it comes to suffering, when it comes to limitations, when it comes to, to pain, our very Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is one who walked that road. The Bible says that he was one that was familiar with suffering, that Jesus hanging on the cross is the picture of pain and suffering and limitation. That Jesus, before he goes to the cross, even even utters these words. He says, I could call down, I could call down angels to deliver me in this. But he embraced the limits that God had placed on his life because it was a greater purpose to what was going on. See, the journey through the cross 
had to happen in order to have the empty grave. The journey through the cross for Jesus had to happen in order to have the empty grave. And so his brokenness led to our healing. His suffering led to our forgiveness. His death led to new life, both in his body and for us. See, it's in the midst of brokenness. It's in the midst of the limitations that we would experience that the power of God is displayed. The power of God is displayed. See, thriving happens, church, when the power of God is displayed in our weakness. So rather than ignoring the places or covering up the places of limitation and weakness and brokenness and hurt in our lives, thriving happens when we would have the courage to say, God, I trust you. God, I believe that you are at work. God, even though you've not removed this thing from me, I am looking for your work in my life in the midst of it. Now, Paul kept asking, Lord, take it away. But in the midst of God's response, in the midst of God's answer to that, and to that thing being left in place, whatever that was, Paul says, listen, then Lord, if, if your power is made known in my weakness, then I, then I, will, then I will embrace those things. I will delight in them. Such a crazy word. I will delight in the brokenness, in the weakness, in the opposition, in the insults. I'll delight in those things because if that's where your power is displayed, that's where I want to be. It takes courage though. So I want to ask you today, what are some of the limitations you're facing? What are some of the things that are in your life? Maybe it's a, a financial limitation. Maybe it's a physical limitation. Uh, maybe it's a situation with your, with your work. Maybe it's a, a, a relational issue that's taking place. What are some of the limitations that you are facing? And maybe ask God today. Would you ask God today, God, how are you moving in the midst of this? We would certainly say, God, please, would you remove this? But in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the limits, in the midst of the challenges, that we would also say, God, we want to have a greater revelation, a glimpse of who you are. What is it that you would want to speak to me so that his power would be displayed in our weakness? I'd love to pray with you today as we close. Lord God, I thank you that you are an all-powerful, all-knowing God, that there is no circumstance and situation in our lives, Lord, that is unseen or unknown by you. And God, that you truly work all things together for good, for those who love you and are called according to your great purpose. That means, Lord, that nothing in this life that we would face, Lord, is beyond your redemptive plan. Lord, that no matter what we face, Lord, even understanding, Lord, as we move through our lives, as we get into the later stages of our lives, Lord, that even death is not a limitation where the world and in this world where we would see death as a limitation, that even death is not a limitation to you as evidenced by the, the empty grave that Jesus rose from the dead. Lord, reminded, I'm reminded today your word says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. So Lord, allow us to work, uh, to receive and embrace that power in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing. 
Give us the courage to stand for you, to trust you in the midst of all circumstances. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. I pray you have uh, an incredible week as you journey with Jesus, as you embrace your limits, as you look for his power to be revealed in your life. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.